Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. Sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handicapable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, we're going to hear a little bit about the polar bear dip from Adam Potts. So, you were telling me that uh, you're involved with the polar bear dip to raise money for cancer awareness. So, tell me a little about that. Sure, yeah. So, one of the, the wonderful things we do at, at Camp Uchimskoka is we wake up with a polar bear dip. You get up, you jump in the lake, and you know then you get ready to go for breakfast. And it's such a great way to wake up, and the kids love it, that I decided you know, I needed to do something a little bit extra this year to help raise money. Uh, for Camp and Trillium, especially when people are, you know, sometimes some bit struggling with uh, finances in today's day and age, that I would do something different. So I'm doing a polar bear dip, uh, most likely in Lake Muskoka, um, starting on Mother's Day, May the 9th, uh, for every $1,000 that I raise for the Sporting Life 10K, which supports Camp and Muskoka. And for those that know the lake, uh, early May in Lake Muskoka is typically in the 40s or 50 degree uh, Fahrenheit, so it's going to be quite a shock, to say the least. So, for those who aren't as familiar with the camp itself, can you tell me a little bit about their work? Absolutely. So, uh, Camp Uch and Trillium are both um, general-term oncology camps. Uh, I'm more familiar with Camp Uch. Um, so, there's a camp up in Muskoka uh, that has, it's the only actual camp that can do IV chemotherapy on-site. We have a full oncology unit. Uh, so both are summer camps that, have, that help children affected by cancer. Uh, camp Trillium, the family goes. Uh, and with Camp Ooch, uh, we bring campers there. And like I said, they can give them chemotherapy. We have oncologists and nurses. And there's a one-to-one ratio of volunteers and staff to children. Um, so the supervision that they get is fantastic. It's essentially, it's really the best place on earth, um, you know, for children who've been through so much, this really just gives them a chance to be kids, which a lot of that was taken from them, unfortunately. So I'm guessing, uh, from a mental health standpoint, that being around other children in a similar situation provides that support network that's so vital in recovery. Absolutely. You know, it's it's. I've been doing this 14 years now. I've been volunteering there. Um, and once in a while, you hear the conversations of the children talking about 
you know, their cancer or how their treatment was. Um, but it's the one thing that they all have in common. And it gives them this sense of normality. And it gives, you know, these children something else to focus on almost. So the mental health aspect of it is is unreasonable. Or sorry, it's, un, it, it's unimaginable. You know, I, a quote from one of the parents that I think is just wonderful is that, you know, sick kids cured my child's cancer. Can't their soul. So, uh, can you tell me about some of the activities they were able to participate in? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, other than being a full oncology camp, it is. I went to summer camps as a kid, and nothing, none of the camps I even knew about had had anything like this. So, there's a full rock climbing and ropes course. Uh, we have you know water skiing, wakeboarding, wake surfing with a really pretty couple of fancy ski boats there is canoeing kayaking archery so we have a nature program which is what i would have called camp craft back in the day we have they go on trips we have woodworking we have pottery arts and crafts you know sports activities uh, you know drama and i'm sure i'm missing a few but you know that just gives you a, a little bit uh, a good understanding of the type of things these kids get to do so in terms of uh, modifications because of their condition, do you change anything, or is it just fairly, fairly regular activity? Yeah, no, we, you know what, we, if an activity needs to be modified, we modify it. The goal is that no activity um, should be out of reach for any of our campers. So, especially recently, there's been a big focus on accessibility. And, um, you know, two years ago, a lot of construction was done. The camp was almost completely accessible. Sometimes, you know, we use the Gators, to, uh, which is a motorized vehicle, to get children down. We have, for some of the children, children that aren't very mobile, we have what I call off-road uh, wheelchairs that have bigger wheels and things like that. Um, and whenever there's somebody that uh, struggles with mobility, we'll sometimes have an extra person um, around just to make sure there's no activity that they can't uh, participate in um, and a lot of construction was done this year so that the slopes are very gentle the pathways are, have good curves um, you know one of the big uh, programs that's going on right now is you know they're calling it the the path to play campaign at, at Uch Muskoka and it's to make sure that the entire camp is 100% accessible so the, not only is the camp accessible but whatever activity that child wants to participate in we will make it happen. So, in your time with the camp and these efforts to raise awareness and funds, is there any success story that stands out for you? <sighs> well, I mean, there's, there's there's a lot, you know. So there's there's so many wonderful stories that I've had. I think uh, it might have been my second or third year. Um, we. Uh, you know, I was I was covering a group of the, the, the more senior campers. Uh, we call them the sparrows now, um, and they are typically you know 12, 13, 14 in that range there. And there was one boy that, that you know came in, and it was first his first time at camp. And then you know he was a little quiet the first day, and then by day two, what typically happens, you know, he was just part of the cabin. The you know the the group is. The campers there and the staff are all so welcoming and so accepting and, you know, we're so inclusive that he felt right at home pretty quickly. And we didn't think as much of it, pardon me, until he got 
was talking with his friends and you know the the mother sent a letter to us and you could almost hear the emotion in it where she said he had given up you know he was different than everybody else at school he had drawn back he didn't talk to his friends anymore i didn't you know my son was gone and you gave me my son back you know you he's now messaging with his friends i he's social again you know the change that happened i can't thank enough for you and and you know she finished the the letter with you gave me my son back and it's lots of little stories like that that you know we get every year that you know are one of the many reasons i i do this year after year and why i'm so so if you could send any message to the community for the need for programs and include these children. Uh, sorry, a message to your, your audience or to the campers? Just to the community in general about the need for inclusion. Yeah, it's, you know, I said earlier that I think Camp Ooch and Trillium as well, it's the best place on earth. And one of the reasons I've thought that as long as I have is it's we treat people there how the rest of the world should be. You know, with nobody's excluded. Doesn't matter. Nothing matters other than we want to make sure we're there for you. And I think that's why I I love it so much and why I say that this is what the world should be like is you never you know, prejudging somebody by for whatever reason doesn't make sense to me because you never know what somebody can accomplish until you give them that chance. And what I see, you know, every day at, at Camp Booch is just that. Like, we give these children chances and they exceed whatever expectations you have. And just making sure that we including them, it really can change people's lives. And I think if we all took a little bit of that in our, in our heart and made sure that we were, you know, inclusive to everybody else, I think the world would be a better place. And if we could aim to be as good a community as, you know, the Uchin Trillium community, I think we'll have accomplished such an amazing thing in the world. In this segment of our show, Heather Harflett will be telling us a little bit about the Vipers. So, can you tell me a little bit about your experience with the Vipers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, to start, it's been a resoundingly positive experience. Um, I got involved with the Vipers about two years ago uh, through the head coach, Chris Chandler. Um, I was looking for somewhere to volunteer. I was volunteering, volunteering elsewhere, and due to a job change, I, I had to leave that position. So I met Chris Chandler, and he, uh, you know, he told me about the Vipers, and I, I joined. Um, I started off just with doing some fundraising for them, but you know, Chris encouraged me to get involved further, so I, I jumped in and. Truthfully, upon joining, I was kind of scared because uh, I wasn't the most knowledgeable about basketball. Um, but I went to practices and got involved, and I learned quick. Um, it's such a positive team that are really open to teaching people. Um, so I find it really positive to work with the Vipers because uh, there's a place for everyone. We've got a competitive team, a recreational team, and a development team that's kind of geared towards kids. Um, if playing isn't for you, there's still room for you. You know, we've got volunteers all over, you know, whether it's helping with social media, the website, fundraising and engagement, scorekeeping in, in normal times, non-COVID times. There's, uh, there's something for everyone. The, the team is super welcoming, and it's been a positive experience working with them. So, do they use any modified equipment in the game? 
Yeah, so the, the chair that they use is sports-specific. Um, they're generally lighter, and the wheels are angled for stability. Um, so they're more agile and easier to turn in them. Um, I will say, and this isn't to deter anyone, and I'll explain in a minute, but because they're specialty wheelchairs, they are expensive. Um, they're about five grand for a basic model. However, um, our team is sponsored by a place called Sunrise Medical. So we get a deal on the chairs, and our team will actually purchase equipment for athletes um, used from, or from money raised from fundraising and from grants. Um, just note that in COVID times right now, we do have specific rules where our athletes are responsible for chair maintenance, storage, transportation, just to prevent any spread of germs. So when it comes to reaching out to the disability community, how do the Vipers go about it? Yeah, so um, with the community and with the disability community, a lot of this is word of mouth for us. Um, so our current athletes, the parents of athletes, coaches and volunteers, we kind of spread the word about our team and, you know, what we have to offer. Um, we do have a relationship with OnPara, so that's the Ontario Para Network. Um, so anyone who's interested in wheelchair basketball, um, if they reach out to OnPara, they'll send us interested participants that are geographically close to us. Um, in other ways that we reach people just generally, um, we do have a website and we're on social media, so Facebook and Instagram, so we connect with people on there as well. So do you work in partnership with any other basketball organizations? Um, that's a good question. We're part of the Golden Horseshoe Disability Sports Association. Um, and we are connected with OnPara. Now, in Ontario, um, there's eight teams, so we're, we're kind of connected with them in the sense that we, we play off with them. So there's teams in Brampton, Scarborough, London, St. Catharines, Kitchener, Ottawa, testing my memory here, Tilsonburg and Windsor, um, and then us in Burlington. So, um, but OnPara and the GHDS, DSA, or who we're largely connected with. Um, and then with that, we do um, connect with, like, provincial teams as well because some of our players will move on to provincial and even national teams. So can you tell me a little bit about the training the athletes go through? Yeah, absolutely. So I will just kind of preface this saying that I'm not really a coach myself, so I'm going to kind of give my perspective of what I've seen. Um, but we, in normal times, again, things are a little different right now with COVID, but we would hold practices twice to, twice a week. Um, on Mondays, it would be largely geared towards our developmental team. Um, so that's our, more our kids or, or people under 18. Um, it would be all skills development. So, um, we would have different drills to do, whether it was, you know, shooting on net or doing pushes or, you know, you name it. We had a whole bunch of different drills. Um, we'd have some team-building exercises, working on communication because it's really big in the sport, um, and then scrimmages, of course, like in when the team was together. Um, on Saturdays, we would also have uh, practices, and anyone could attend on Saturdays. Um, anyone could attend on Mondays as well, but it was just more geared towards our developmentals. But on Saturdays, it was largely our competitive team that would get together. Um, they would work with people from the developmental team. Um, they would also have their own kind of time within practice to, to work together and, you know, work on their own skills. And again, it would be drills and scrimmages and then practice. So, yeah, that's kind of a breakdown of, of what our training would look like. Right now, it's 
little bit different because we're not currently on court, but we uh, try to create videos um, to, you know, help our, our athletes and, you know, get them to practice at home. So in your time with the organization, is there any success moment that stands out for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of successes that I could talk about, some small, some, some large, but I'd say a greater success moment that we've had is, um, you know, developing our players that have ended up on the national team. Um, so to give a, a few shout-outs here, we've got uh, Chris Stoutenberg, Kate Carnock, Brad uh, Bowden, Bill Bridges, uh, Brandon Wagner, and Mel Houghton. They've all ended up on our national team. So it's it's great to know that we've been a part of that and helped develop them to get them to that level. Um, and we've also had quite a few of our members uh, move on to provincial teams as well. So that's that's just a huge success to see our athletes develop to the point where they can, you know, play in such a competitive um, atmosphere. So if you could send any message to the community and all the athletes out there who might be wondering if they'd be able to actually participate, what would you tell them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a couple things to know, but... The first thing, and I, I really want to emphasize this, is just know that there's a place for everyone. If you're interested in playing with us, we don't make cuts to our teams based on skill level. Um, we just want to get people on the court uh, and develop their skills. So even if you walk in with no experience with basketball, wheelchair basketball, that's okay. We're, we're there to support you and develop you. Um, also, if financial resources are an issue as well, we'll work with you, um, including and but not limited to getting you set up with the equipment that you need. Um, one thing I do want to emphasize right now, again, because we're in COVID and that impact thing is, you know, the sport is very important, but safety is our number one priority. Um, right now, we're not practicing based on our lockdown regionally, and but when we're to do so, we'll uh, we'll return to court within provincial guidelines and there'll be protocols to follow. You know, for those who are ready to return to court, that's awesome. We're so welcoming and so happy to have you. Um, but if you're on your, our team currently or if you're thinking of joining but you're not quite at that comfort level yet, that's totally okay. You know, everyone's uh, comfort level is a little different. And even if you're not on the court, you know, we do want to talk to you and we do want to get you engaged, uh, you know, for when the time is right for you to come play. So please, if you're if you're interested, feel free to reach out to us. We, we'd love to hear from you. Like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. No problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. Handy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health or addiction, consider registering to the new REACT program launched by Downtown Windsor Community Collaborative. REACT is a 90-day program committed to understanding your story and supporting your journey to healthy and long-term healing. All sessions are online and completely free, running weekdays from 9 a.m. until noon. Visit reactwindsor.ca and instantly be connected to a safe and supportive community. That's reactwindsor.ca. Welcome back to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association. 
an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor, Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, we heard a little bit about the Vipers from Heather Harflett and about Adam Potts' upcoming polar bear dip. In this segment of our show, Melissa LaRivier will be sharing a little bit about her son's story. So, can you tell me a little bit about your son's story? Yep, so I have a 14-year-old son, Logan. Um, He was born with albinism, which uh, leaves him with uh, low vision. So he's uh, classified as legally blind. So, what sorts of supports has he received over time? Sports? Supports. Supports. Supports, yeah. He's received, he's actually been quite fortunate. Um, He's, uh, when he was, he goes to a specialty school in Brantford, uh, W. Ross McDonald School for the Blind. Um, So the school is made for him, so he does quite well there. Um, Within our home community, the school here was very, very helpful for him. But with being uh, visually impaired, he's also being diagnosed with a learning disability. So making the decision to send him to uh, W. Ross McDonald, which is a, a live-in school, uh, during the week, and he's home on weekends, was the right choice for him. Um, and it also provides him with a lot of opportunities in sports and uh, academics. So in terms of the sports, I'd love to hear more about that. So, Logan has tried a wide gamut of sports. Um, he started off, we, we live in a small community in northern Ontario, and all kids here play hockey and soccer in the, hockey in the winter, soccer in the summer. Um, so, we decided that we were going to try that out for Logan, but it just didn't seem, at, at a young age, it just didn't seem to be a good fit for him. Um, and then I was... I received a newsletter from uh, one of the organizations that uh, was supporting Logan here um, in Sudbury, and it had a notification in it about uh, para-Nordic skiing um, at uh, a a trail uh, only a few kilometers from my home. So I reached out to the coordinator of that, Patty Kittler, and she met me at the trails on a Saturday morning with Logan at four years old and she put on some skis on him and off we went um, on some of the smaller trails trails right close to the chalet and from that moment on him and Patty have been skiing together for 10 years now. So for a visually impaired skier does he use any modified equipment or uh, go through any additional training? So there, he has to learn um, directions uh, from his guide. So he, because he's visually impaired, he would have a guide skiing in front of him. And the guide usually will have uh, a microphone uh, with a speaker box around his waist. And he will call out uh, directions to Logan, um, either like keep left, you know, a hill's coming up or or if there's anything that could cause him to fall, they will... They will uh, make him aware before that that could happen. So do you find that there's enough awareness in the community that opportunities like this exist for people like your son? 
No, you have to really search for it. So Logan's involved with a lot of sport and I have spent uh, a lot of time, me and my husband, researching and finding um, things that are available. And, and when you become involved in parasport, you end up being, um, people can learn about, they, they become aware of Logan because it's a small community. So they've, they've reached out for him to come and try things such as he plays um, bowl ball, which is a sport for the blind. We, we became aware of that through CNIB. He plays, um, he does rowing in the summer. We became aware of that through CNIB also. Um, but if you don't go searching for it or you're not part of it, it's it's, it's hard to, to find. The organizations are out there, but they're very small. There's not a lot of participants compared to the population of people with disability. In, there's not a lot of... Uh, membership for this for some reason. So could that be, in your opinion, that it's due to some of the myths concerning things like visual impairments? Some people who would say uh, a person with a vision impairment wouldn't be able to get out and ski, for example. I would agree because a lot of times I feel that caregivers, parents or caregivers or, or whatnot, um, worry about their children when they're young and don't want to put them into uh, necessarily harm's way or in a situation where they wouldn't be uh, capable of doing something. So sometimes they tend to hold back their children. That's why you see in parasport, a lot of times the athletes are of an older age. So to look at the converse side of things, in this time with uh, skiing and all the other sports you mentioned, is there any success moment he's experienced that stands out for you as a parent? Logan's had a lot of success with his sports. Uh, the biggest success for, for him is the confidence that it's, uh, that it's built in him. Um, and he's also had successes with making a provincial teams. He's made a provincial team for both uh, skiing and goalball. And with those brings really a lot of opportunities for some traveling to different communities within Ontario right now um, to compete. Um, and when you compete, there could be success with successes and 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 not so many also. But it builds a, it builds a lot of character and strength and confidence in a, a young person with um, an exceptionality. So, if you could send any message to the community about the need for equal inclusion and to explore the options of what is possible, what would you say? I, can you repeat that? Sorry. You could send any message to the community about the need for inclusion in society and the need to explore different opportunities and possibilities as you and your husband did. What would you say? Um... I would say that it's it's a very important to have um, integrated sports, but it's also very important to have sports that are just for um, para athletes, um, where they could feel confident and um, successful within their own group. Um, there's nothing stopping you when you have a disability from getting outside and being active, or being active in any sport, uh, indoors or outdoors. Um, it's, it's built a really, 
the confidence um, and the successes that it brings for your child, um, you couldn't give them any other way. So I feel that um, it's a very, very important um, for people with disability to be active. So I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. When it comes to things like skiing, outdoor adventures, that sort of thing, you might find that in society we love to make assumptions, to be overprotective, to presume what a person's capable of rather than allowing them the freedom to explore that for themselves. Truth is, we never know what a person can and will achieve if given the right moments. And having that sense of freedom, of being a part of something great. It's what a lot of us need just to reach our best. It's those moments when we do defy the odds, when we take what society had considered impossible, make it our own, set that precedent, open that door, we reach our personal best, and the world grows just a little bit. And honestly, it's as it should be. Not every act is intended to be inspirational, but if it has that effect, so be it. If the world's a better place, because someone with a vision impairment gets out there on skis, despite that we as a people might have been so close-minded as to say that's impossible before, change our perspective. We might all grow just a little from that, and then question what else is possible? What's the next step? This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.